All right. We are live. Welcome to Stop and Lock Live, Stop Talk, episode number 23 with Daniel Prock and myself, Jake Ruth. And we are going to talk about today a little bit about CVS, definitely dive into everything that's happening with SVB Bank. Uh, we have a few interesting insider stories there since we actually do run the startup Stop and Lock as we are both the co-founders. And as most of you know, this is a live show. We love to interact with the chat. And good morning to you all there. And good morning to you, Daniel. Uh, Daniel and Asia still. Still in Asia. In Malaysia now. Daniel now. <laughs> I'm in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And I'm officially 13 hours ahead of you. It is uh, 10 p.m. here now. As if it couldn't couldn't get any, any worse. I know we're working with a vendor who's uh, been in Australia, too. So between the three of us, that's just been a huge fiasco. Reminds me how fake time measurement is. <laughs> yes, it's all it's all made up based on the sun. But uh, do, you, do, you, do you want to get us started with CVS? Of course. So in our Stock Unlock Discord, which many of you are in, someone mentioned CVS. Uh, CVS, as most of us know, especially in the United States, is a pharmaceutical, uh, both consumer and business-facing uh, retailer. They have a pretty dense business. And I took a little dive into it this week. Uh, full disclosure, I looked into it for about 40 minutes, and that is not enough time to fully analyze CBS. So everything I'm saying is kind of my light first impressions of the stock. However, I'm not presenting this as a buy or sell. Obviously, we are also not financial advisors, so we legally cannot do that. Please consult a financial professional. So... I want to start this off in an interesting way, Daniel, because I thought that we were going to talk about CVS, but I'm going to put you in the hot seat here for a little bit. I'm going to bring up this company, uh, Oak Street Health, and people familiar with CVS will pick up on what this is right away. They are going to acquire this company. I will not say the price yet. I just wanted to run through this business a little bit. So this is a business more in like the elderly care space. They give, uh, they have, I think it was around like 20 something clinics and Anyways, it's an $8.5 billion healthcare company on the market. CBS is acquiring this business. So I went in and I was like, I'm noticing, low, I'm noticing this low stock on a lock insight score. Don't you know that I don't buy stocks, you know, in the two range? I thought that like BAM or BN was two, right? <laughs> There's always exceptions, but yeah, I'm just, uh, sorry. I'm just, uh, I'm just playing. Wait, <laughs> you, you are right. Yeah. The, the stock and lock insight score is definitely a little bit right here, but you know, this is, we look at these companies all the time, Daniel. So you look at the balance sheet, you look at the top line, revenue is going up. Everyone's going to know what we're going to say next. How much of that is becoming profits? Well, the answer is not much. Um, they are losing more money. Every the day. answer is none of it. None of that revenue is a profit right there. It's losing money. Exactly. Uh, this company, uh, their diluted shares uh, count is also going up or down rather, which means they're that they're losing more and more money on a share by share basis. So not a ton of increase here, but their share count is actually modestly going up, although it's hard to tell. What is that year out? What's the deal with this company? So this company is being acquired by CVS for $10 billion. And okay. what I wanted to bring up with you, Danny, because we talk about this stuff all the time is this graph that CVS shared. So whenever a company acquires they'll put out a statement like this it's a bunch of slides kind of letting investors know we're making the best decision ever like you should buy our stock they are projecting yes. this business to be doing two billion in their adjusted ebitda numbers so this isn't even real profitability it's the adjusted numbers by 2026 you gotta look okay they were paying 10 billion dollars for this business i just gotta say like you know whenever you use ebitda there's probably 
some cases where that may make sense. But then when you adjust the EBITDA, that immediately for me is like a red flag because you're already taking an adjusted number and then adjusting it a second time to try and show profitability. Like the adjusted EBITDA has so many actual expenses in there that are, you know, real expenses for the business that it's like, that's not, that's not profits at all. <laughs> yep. So anyways, that was the first thing that I noticed. I'm like, well, they're doing an acquisition. Let me look into it. I said, just based on the valuation standpoint alone, I know that they're trying to do it to get the ecosystem of that company, all their doctors and everything like that. So they are predicting that they will be doing 2 billion adjusted EBITDA. But CBS on the surface, Daniel, looks interesting because you see that 13% free cash flow yield trading at a free cash flow of 7.36. So that like right off the bat is really good. The things that I didn't like about this business, just to run through my notes here super quickly, is their, where's their profitability? Their profitability is not good. So it's a pretty low margin business. It seems to be the same for some of their competitors. I looked up Walgreens. So even though they're trading at around a seven price free cash flow, that's on the lower end of their range, but that is more normal than you'd think for CVS. I know we usually tend to see higher price of free cash flows for uh, growing businesses in the tech sector. So their revenue growth is decent. Margins are not that great. Uh, I want to show you their free cash flow statement and just end on that for their last quarter. Even their operating cash flow was negative, uh, but it's interesting to see why. Negative tangible book value, a little bit of debt, but they can handle it. They are, you know, making the share count go down a bit, but I just did not get excited about this. I was yawning all the way through their 180 page Ted Q. It was, it was rough to try to analyze this business. Yeah. So one thing I've noticed, um, recently is these old legacy businesses like, uh, McDonald's, for example, they like, they just have negative tangible book value. I believe that HPQ also, um, HP computers, which Warren Buffett is buying, by the way, um, they have negative tangible book value. So it's like, they've just taken on a ton of debt or something, or they have a ton of goodwill on the balance sheet. And I don't know. It's just interesting. I, I don't have any other input then. It's just interesting to see. You always have to look deeper to see like what makes up the balance sheet, right? So sneak peek, we have not released this yet. So anyone watching on the live stream, surprise. Uh, but we're going to start adding a lot of visuals to our financials tab. And yeah, this does visually kind of show you what makes up their assets. You can see goodwill yeah, is a huge chunk of that which makes tangibles good. Yeah, 34% is goodwill and then 10.8% is intangibles. So basically 45% of their assets is goodwill and intangibles. Awesome. And a quick side, side comment here for anyone watching. Uh, we are going to do our best to keep some of these stocks tested five to, five to 10 minutes each. I know we've gone a little bit long last time, but you know we are rounding this one up and coming up next to SBB Bank. Can you go to the cash flow quick on the... Uh, you, the are re you are reading my mind. So can you do it on, the, on, the, on our new cash flow tab? Yes. Okay, so this tab here, the green is the operating cash flow. Can you zoom out? Uh, zoom out like five years. Uh, <laughs> like literally doing the browser. Yeah, okay, they, had a, so, they might have done an acquisition here or debt repayment. Yeah, so the green is the operating cash flow, and you can see that it's been positive. Um, and they usually use cash to buy back shares, it looks like. It also looks like they had some sort of major debt raise in 2017. But throughout history, I mean, operating cash flow has been positive, except for recently. So yeah, it's I would want to know what's going on there. Yeah. Uh, so when you crack open, this is, I actually really like this. This is from their uh, investor relations page, but you can get to their interactive cash flow statement. Obviously, the numbers match stock unlock exactly. You see the negative 1.9 here. Other websites weren't showing that, Daniel. I'm not sure why, but we matched the source of truth 
look at this number right here. Cash paid for in inventory and prescriptions dispensed by retail. So this number is going up and up and up. This is kind of where I ended my analysis, where if someone else is an investor in this business, I'd love to hear the full bull case. I was not really seeing too much that I liked, so it didn't really make me interested to really dive into this. But it seems that they are paying more and more and more and more to generate their cash. I wasn't really seeing a ton of act behavior here, even though they did announce the Oak Tree acquisition. You know, they, they have a good cash position around 15 billion in cash. So just on that standpoint, they're fine. But so what 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 did it come down to? Why did why didn't you want to buy this business? Low margins, low growth. I also only like to invest in things that I like. Uh, I was getting incredibly bored reading through their 10Q, unlike other companies that I'll get excited and really like reading from their exec board. Uh, it doesn't seem founder led. I think the healthcare space itself is also a huge mess. I've worked there for a while. So, you know, even going back to my notes here, I think this summarizes my thoughts well. It was it was a light no for me, but, you know, really need to put that disclaimer up that it would take, I think, at least a full day, if not more, to fully analyze, understand how all these businesses' relationships and cash flows work. So, yeah, but, you know, like, as, as you, like, analyze more businesses, I mean, I have, like, a five-minute filter that I can go through now where if I see enough red flags within five minutes, I'm like, I'm just done. You know exactly there's just so much better value out there and maybe this is a good stop but you know it'll be for someone else it's just there was enough things there like you said where i wasn't excited about it but yeah that's cbs cbs jake is not going to to uh look into it let's look at the chat very quickly now because we're going to talk about the big news now that uh, we have some people in the live stream freaking silicon valley bank collapsing going under totally done wild all right. I was at one of their founder events. They paid for my lunch a few months ago. They were like trying to coup us to get stock and lock to use their bank account. So this is also a pretty sad situation too. You know, I'm not, I know people try to jump in and make it political. Like, oh, you're crying about money. So, you know, let's, let's just keep it at the high level of, yeah. these are a lot of people's livelihood, right? Whether you're talking about venture or startups, there's companies that aren't going to be able to make payroll. I'm sure the founders and uh, owners of Silicon Valley Bank did not want this to happen. Uh, this is being called the second biggest failure of a bank in U.S. history. Uh, there's about $175 billion of funds that are locked up. And of course, those are FDIC insured up to 250 k Thankfully, we do not bank with them. But yeah, it's a really rough situation out there. Like, um, I can talk a little bit too about how our payment provider, our personal payment provider is tied up with them, and that is affecting us a bit. What yeah, we in with here, Daniel, because I know you've been looking at this a lot. Well, it was our newsletter yesterday. Well, just to follow up what you just said, yeah, we have uh, our most recent pay cycle at Stock Unlock is apparently currently in Silicon Valley Bank. We don't bank with them, but our payments provider it basically holds the payments in their bank. And, uh, you know, we unfortunately had our payments in that bank while they were being transferred to our bank accounts, essentially. So we're going to see if we get that money back. Who knows? It's not a lot, thankfully, but, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a lot. It is, you know, a decent chunk of change, though, in there. Um, but we're going to be fine. Stock Unlock is fine. We are not banking with Silicon Valley. We were actually, Jake, as you said, we were approached by them and we didn't end up going through with them. They were offering us a really good interest rate last year and that's when uh, interest rates were low. So basically one red flag was like, how are we getting such a good interest rate when interest rates are like 1%? So like, you know, how is this, how is this happening? Because money's not free. And whenever you see those situations, you should get a, a little bit of a red, a red, sorry, of a red flag. Um, so the reality of that was, is I went to their events and came back to you guys, you and Nick, the bounty team. I was like, this seems like a good deal. Like we could get six yep. a year in interest payments, which is like basically one of our salaries that we're giving ourselves to live. So 
it was pretty compelling and you hopped up yeah, the with them, right yeah i had a meeting with them i actually had two meetings with them and like they were really trying to sell us like they wanted to fly me out to new york they wanted to bring me to events they were like we want to be your partner and everything you know we want to partner with your startup and it's it all sounded just like I didn't know they were going to fly you out. Yeah, dude, they wanted to fly me out to some events too. They wanted to get me in Vegas at one point. I was like, no, like what is happening right now? <laughs> and uh, eventually, eventually it just came down to, you know, like we got, we have a good bank. Everything's working well. We're, we, we were making decent interest. It was maybe like a 20, 30,000 boost to the interest payments that we could have been making off of SVB. But uh, basically the vibes that we were getting as a team, we just decided, you know, like, no, we're not going to go with this bank. And in hindsight, like, Probably one of the best decisions we made as a startup is not going with the thing. Because we I'm in my yeah, I'm in my parents' house, uh dog watching for the weekend, so you guys can probably tell it's a different background. So I'm gonna embody something they would say in this situation. All right. Smells like a cat, walks like a cat, talks like a cat. It's probably a cat. So if we apply that to this situation with FBB Bank, walks, talks, smells like when we're hearing, oh, high interest payments, come out to Vegas, we're like, Well, the interest rate environment, especially back then, wasn't that high. How are you doing this? It's like those little like sirens start to go off and it's kind of sad because it reminded, me, it reminded me of crypto honestly like you know those crypto banks that were like we're going to give you eight to ten percent interest and they were like risk-free so, so like, like, whenever you know that tie though between svb and crypto right well they were svb was like the startup bank that's what they were promoting themselves as so i imagine i don't know if they had ties to crypto i don't i didn't see any crypto on their balance sheet their customers had ties to crypto and like svb was built on a fresh clean stack so they were able to within their ecosystem move money around a lot quicker than other banks so there was a pretty big incentive for companies in the crypto space that needed to like move things around really quick to like have a like legit fdic insured payment provider that will be able to like use usd funds on their behalf and move them around at that speed so there are like you know everything kind of crosshairs itself in this industry but you know, they talk about how a lot of their customers are pulling out money, burning money really quick. A decent chunk of their customers either had businesses that were solely based on crypto or some aspects of it were, you know, touched by crypto. And we all know that's been getting absolutely decimated. Yeah. So I went through um, SVB's financial statements because, you know, like Jake, you know that I like to invest in my banks. I like my bank stocks. So I, you like investing? I thought this was a an animal show. No, what but are we, I, what are we talking about right now? <laughs> no, but basically I was like, I've never really taken a deep dive into this bank. Um, I've always avoided it because, you know, the interactions we had with them, it just, as we said, it was like almost a too good to be true situation. So I spent some time today and like looked at their balance sheet because I was like, okay, could you see the signs? Like what were the signs that this was going to happen? Because they were going to fly you to Vegas, bro. No, like this was a major event that happened in the market. Like people are saying, you know, this is going to be the next financial crisis. I don't, I personally don't buy that. I don't think so. Um, but I was just like, what were the hints in the, in the balance sheet? Like, could you see this coming? So I went and I took a look at their assets right here. So as of the end of 2022, they had this number right here, this 211, basically $212 billion in assets. So you can see, you know, they have other assets, non-marketable securities held to maturity securities net loans, cash and cash equivalents, and available for sales securities. So the available for sales securities and the cash and cash equivalents, this is the liquid assets right here. All of these other assets are, you know, they're assets that they cannot liquidate quickly. So the gray and the dark blue here was their liquid assets, which I believe equaled about 22 billion. So that's how much actual true liquidity this bank had. You know, this 212 number is, is false. That's not liquidity. And then over here, what was this? Their liabilities, 
So this is their deposits. So they have $196 billion of liabilities and basically 90% of that is deposits. So I think they had something like $180 billion of deposits. So how banks work is they take these deposits and then they go and invest it. So they take the deposits and then they invested it in these illiquid assets, net loans, health for maturity assets. So basically when people wanted to take their deposits out, they only had $22 billion available. And I believe I read something like there was $43 billion of deposits that were taken out just yesterday when the bank collapsed. And the reason the bank collapsed is because $43 billion tried to leave the bank. They had $22 billion of liquidity. The math doesn't add up and they didn't have the money. Yeah, I think one important thing to point out here too is the type of things they invest in. You know, the, they're not going out and buying AMC call options, right? They're investing in municipal bonds. Uh, typically, yeah, they, have, uh, they actually had some mortgage-backed securities there too, but typically slower moving, lower return, but you know, safer investments. And part of the story, what's up? I was gonna say part of the story is the interest rates rising. So they were I don't making think... an investment plan in a lower interest rate environment, and a, they sold their loans at a one when they sold. On Wednesday, it was a 1.8, or sorry, Thursday, it was a $1.8 billion loss. Yeah, but that's not, a, I thought that's not going to take down the bank, though. That's not going to take down the bank. Oh, no, yes. sorry. I, I was just pointing out that they're losing money on their investments where they're taking customer deposits, putting those into investments. Those, they actually took losses on when they sold due to the interest rate environment. Like when the Fed started raising rates, they had a whole investment thesis that started getting blown up because the returns that they expected on some of those assets and bonds and things like that started flipping from the interest rates going up. Yes. When interest rates go up, the price of bonds goes down. Um, Explaining that for the viewers. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. what were you saying? Um, yeah, that $1.8 billion loss I was just saying was not the reason the bank went under. The bank went under because, you know, they just simply didn't have the money. And I also have another screenshot right here that I want to show you. I think what we should talk about is what the CEO said, because a lot of people are actually blaming a lot of this on the communications, because I'll paraphrase, but the CEO basically came out and said, before all this crap went down, hey, don't panic, because... If you do panic, everyone else is going to panic. So just like, so don't panic though. Like, be cool, be cool. And everyone was kind of like, Peter Thiel came out and like started a freaking like bank run in the VC world, or at least he's being like scapegoated for it. Maybe it was someone else. Yeah, but uh, I mean, SVB put out a, a presentation, an investor presentation on March 8th, which is now three days ago, I believe, which is where I'm getting a lot of these screenshots from. And the investor presentation was basically 100% dedicated to trying to convince their investors that everything was fine. It was like a one-off special investor presentation. Like, we have all of this liquidity. Look at our $180 billion in assets. And then you look through the presentation, you're like, yeah, but only 10% of that is liquid. So you have $20 billion. And who their customers are also, which is very unique for a bank. People are saying because they banked with so many venture-backed startups and smaller businesses, yeah. so all that. Yeah, so this uh, next chart that I have here, which is from their investor presentation. So here's the thing also, is they were the startup bank. That's like what they were trying to sell themselves as. That's where a lot of their customers were, is startups. However, startups typically burn money. They rely on venture capital or you know investor money to survive. So this is the trend up here, this top chart. This is the US VC-backed investment activity. You can see that since the fourth quarter of 2021, it's down something like 60 or 70%. So basically venture capital dollars have been drying up over the past year. Like it, there's just not a lot of activity happening. So the customers of S Silicon Valley Bank, since they're startups and they rely on venture capital to essentially survive and venture capital is no longer coming, what it means is they're not getting inflows of cash anymore. So since these businesses are losing money and they're not getting inflows of cash anymore, 
what's happening is their cash is going down, which means Silicon Valley Bank's deposits are also going down. So while that's happening, I mean, think about it. The bank takes deposits and then it goes and invests the money. And then if clients' deposits are going down at the same time, then it's like this whole, it's just not a good situation. And you can actually see here that over time, this negative purple bar is how much money their their clients are losing. Daniel, so, did they copy some of the design from our new financials tab here? Honestly, kind of. I just like, <laughs> I'm like looking at this. I was like, are we looking at stock and lock? Like it looks so similar. <laughs> yeah, honestly. But uh, that's what this is exactly. It outflows from cash burn from their clients and it's growing. So, and the money is not coming in anymore because the VC market has dried up. So overall, it's just not a good situation. And, you know, that's kind of a risk. I think they were overexposed to the startup, the startup world. Like, you know, these are highly risky businesses. They're really going to look at this too, moving forward, right? Like, are they going to introduce new laws that like the makeup of who your customers are and things like that? Because this is like, this is straight up not okay. I mean, especially after the 2008 financial crisis, trust in the financial system. And, you know, we're looking at this at this point in time. I really hope, Daniel, that we don't flash back on this and say, wow, we were so naive if there's like a bigger store brewing from this, because there's other neo banks out there. Actually, to get people inside, look, we deal with our investors and we actually sent a notice to our investors yesterday informing them that we did not bank with SVB Bank. Simplest way to word it. One investor responded to us and we're kind of in line with this. They said, hey, you know, you should think about de-risking where you keep your assets, which is true. Uh, I won't name our bank here, but you know, we do have our banking partner, which is a single banking partner. They are safe right now, but they're, they're a neo-bank. Some of that over to a bigger bank now. Yeah, they're a neo-bank and they're a private company. Um, and our investor that reached out to us and tried to give us some advice basically said, take your money out of neo-banks. Like they, across... said, they said diversi diversify, not like a okay run. I'm not trying to cause it. I mean, it's it's like all systemic, right? Like if everyone starts bank running on all these neobanks. But, but that's what some people are thinking about here, right? I mean, it's yeah. uh, kind of a scary situation. I agree with you. I'm not sensing 2008 financial crisis vibes. I'm no expert there, but it doesn't seem that these states of the balance sheets and over leveraging is in the same position that it was before. We're also looking at a smaller bank as opposed to the bigger, larger ones. JP Morgan stock was actually up yesterday on this news. So our banking partner, Rippling, for example, they're a very huge private business. They moved from SVB to JP Morgan. So I'm expecting Morgan Stanley, JP, Goldman Sachs, a lot of these bigger companies to actually get more business from this and more consolidation. So depending on where you look, there might actually be some opportunity here. And maybe looking at bank stocks could be a fun chat for this stream because I know they're getting hit in the market. We actually yeah, have a chat say that some good bank stocks are getting cheaper from, from Router. Yeah, so... If you, I don't know if you noticed, but JP Morgan was up like 3% or something yesterday. And it's it's because of exactly what you said. People are taking their money out of the smaller banks that you can't really, I don't want to say you can't trust, but you just like can't verify the trust. And they're moving those into, you know, the large banks that have been around forever and have very solid balance sheets like JP Morgan. So I do think that JP Morgan is going to, you know, see more business from us. They could potentially get an influx of deposits. Well, that definitely happened yesterday. We at least know that our... I guess it's kind of inside of baseball here, but we, at least we know some of our private bigger partners we work with have moved over to JP. Um, stock was up 2.54% yesterday. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I, I'm really hoping there aren't other players that start falling out from this in terms of the domino effects. We also know the Fed was saying, we'll raise rates until something breaks. Does this qualify as a break for them? I don't know. I think this is a break. <laughs> I think something broke. <laughs> so Okay, sure. But then there's the dial blow, right? So like when they say break, this is a neobank, right? As opposed to something else blowing up. I just don't, I'm not, I don't think they're words too much, but it 
I don't think Silicon Valley was a neobank. They were the 16th largest bank in the U.S. The, the parent one, yeah. Fair enough. Um, it's just interesting, man, because like up in Canada, we have a very consolidated banking system. Like there's five major banks. There's a like th there's a handful of smaller banks that you can bank with, but like the five major banks almost own everything. And then you go down to the U.S. and there's like you know freaking hundreds of banks. It is crazy. Yeah, I'm trying to bring up the new visuals for. Oh, you know what? We don't show them for banks. That's what's happening here. Yeah, banks aren't supported yet. We have to. Uh, I have to plan out banks. <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm trying to pull the feature that isn't released yet. If some of you guys missed it before. This is a little tease. We are going to be launching additional ways to visually analyze financial statements, which we're super excited about. So if you're seeing me fumble around, that's what's going on there. So sorry if I'm distracted in the stream. Uh, can I share my screen, actually? Oh, no. Can you? Of course. <laughs> Did you stop mine? Cool. Yeah, I just... You know, more importantly, I will tell you when you are or you are, are not using your stream, because that's the issue when it's just one of us here. It seems so common to, like, think you're sharing your screen, but you're not. Anyways, I can see it. What's going on with okay. the these financials so when you're looking at a bank one thing that you can look at is this metric right here the loan loss provisions this is the bank essentially setting setting aside cash today for potential future losses so that they can like build up their reserves for if things go bad so this is a svb here and if we zoom out this is 2008 you know this is how much they were building up and then you can see here for the past few quarters they have been building up a lot of cash relative to their history so just remember this, okay? This bank was basically building up a record amount of cash by far. Like if you take a look at the trailing 12 months, the amount of cash they've been setting aside for things to go bad has been, you know, record highs by far. Then if you go to a bank like, let's go to Royal Bank of Canada and let's go and take a look at their loan loss provision. I knew it was going to be a Canadian bank. I should have said something. Yeah, because I freaking love my Canadian banks. Take a look at they're, their loan loss great. provision. Surprised it wasn't EQB.to. Could have been. Anyways, take a look at their um, loan loss provisions. They're still all the way down here. And this is this is like across the board for Canadian banks and for U.S. banks is the major ones. They're, they're not setting aside that much money for things to go bad. So basically what that tells me is they're not expecting things to get bad at least anytime soon. Like they're still very well capitalized. But then again, when you go to SBB, their loan loss provisions are like at an all-time high by far which tells me that the bank knew that something was coming. The insiders, in my opinion, knew that they were they were going to have some issues because they were preparing for it for a few quarters now. They just couldn't set aside enough. They couldn't get enough liquidity. So just for the like viewers watching and also myself, sorry, that, that high number you're saying is the banks are, can you just re-explain that once more? The loan loss. They set aside, they can set aside cash today for expected future losses. So like since they take on loans, they can essentially set aside as much money as they want if they think that the economy or something is going to deteriorate so that when losses start happening they have a reserve built so that metric is basically the bank building its reserves svb was building its reserves at a record high by far for like the past nine months every other bank that i've taken a look at is like their loan loss provisions are still low so svb relative to all the other banks they knew that something in, within their bank was gonna start breaking at least that's what the metrics look like but they put out that special shareholders report to say everything was fine. Yeah, anyway. Everyone in the ring insider. And then the CEO sold $3.5 million worth. Just trying to, you know, keep everything keep everything cool so you can get his money out. Yeah. The summary of this for me is we were dealing with this bank six to 12 months ago. They 
were taking me and other founders out for nice lunches in New York City. I was like, how are they getting this money? They tried to take you out to Vegas. Nice people working there, but wow, this is a fiasco. People in the comments are saying some pretty good stuff too. You know, just a bank being mad at poorly. Fair enough. You know, it seems like you have to have a better mindset of who your customers are. And it's just a mess. My heart goes out to the people affected by this too. Like, I know we have a lot of startup friends. There's companies that can't make payroll. YC was calling this Y Combinator potentially an extension level event. So I guess we're going to have to, you know, fit tight startup. They said for startups specifically. That's why I don't think that this is going to trickle through the entire economy. It may have some effect. Like we're feeling this a little bit with our payroll that is in SBB right now, unfortunately. So I think there might be some things like that. You know, some people are definitely going to get hurt from this. But in terms of the entire economy, like I, I, I struggle to see this taking it down. It's not a good thing, but I, I agree. It doesn't sound like it will tear everything down. I have a prediction on this, Daniel. So some of these companies are getting hit hard. Valuations are getting hit hard. I think we're going to see some more M&A activity over the next 12 months, specifically from bigger players that have stronger balance sheets going around, looking at these startups yeah. that are having trouble raising, doing flat rounds, doing layoffs. The value, valuation could have collapsed from you know the 2021 peak. So there might be some good deals out there. I know we own some of the bigger tech stocks in our portfolio. I know Airbnb also has a lot of cash on the side and video said in their last call, they're going to be looking at opportunities. What's interesting is uh, the Canadian banks, as I said, the Canadian banking sector is like so consolidated now. I I have something in my memory deep that the Canadian banks cannot, act, the five major ones cannot actually acquire any more Canadian banks because it's already too consolidated. I don't know if that's correct, so fact check that, but... What they're doing now is TD is a Canadian bank, for example. They're starting to acquire U.S. banks. Another one, BMO, is starting to acquire U.S. banks. So if this does cause the banking sector valuation to go down, which it is, then um, yeah, I agree. We could definitely see some acquisitions coming. It could speed them up because, I mean, things are just getting cheaper. Yeah. Let, let me know if you think this is a good uh, transition, but Sunny, good to see you again in the chat. Just said, can you check SoFi and NU for loan loss reserve? Think we can do that in stock and lock? Uh, yes, we can. I'm not, I'm not sure, was uh, any other points you wanted to cover in that conversation, Daniel, or specific topics today? I know you wanted to hit CVS and SPV before doing more casual stock talk. Um, the only last point I wanted was basically, like, I don't think this is going to bring down the economy, as I said. So if the entire market wants to continue dumping and tanking, like, there, in my opinion, there is some fantastic businesses right now selling for some pretty attractive prices. So... I mean, if you think 10, 20 years out, I don't think Coca-Cola is cheap right now, but I'm just going to use it as an example. Like, is Coke going to be here in 20 years, do you think? Yes, I can almost guarantee that. So if Coke stock gets down to a ridiculously cheap price because some bank somewhere collapsed, then like it could be a good buying opportunity in my opinion. So I'm going to be on the lookout. I'm definitely going to be on the lookout. All across the market, I mean, I know I'm pretty cashed up. Like I've been dollar cost averaging lately into some of my positions, but overall have kind of been sitting on my hands a bit. And you're right. I uh, might take the crowbar and crack open my wallet and uh, <laughs> buy, buy some stocks. Yeah. So anyways, uh, this is, uh, I agree with you, but this is SoFi's loan loss provisions. They are going up. Now you got to also, you know, you do have to think about this a little bit because as a bank increases its assets, the only rational thing to do is to increase your loan loss provisions as well. Because when you take on more assets, they take on more loans, which just means risk goes up. So if a business or a bank is increasing their deposits quickly or their loans, then it makes sense that they're setting aside more cash. And uh, I believe that might be the case. 
What was that figure though? It looked like it was only like fourteen million. I thought I saw there on their loan. I was like, that, that just sounds low. I don't know why I can't find this right now. What, what are you looking for? I was looking for well, their total liabilities are going up a lot, like a lot. They have gone from three point five billion to thirteen point five billion. Yeah, and uh, from the chat here, from the chat here, Daniel Sunny, the person who asked this question, is also saying SoFi is exposed to student loan default so there is a risk there yeah i think i think the makeup of their loans which is something we can't see here is incredibly important yeah SoFi is a weird one i'm honestly not confident in any opinion i have there yeah, I, um, I bought a few that was the only spac i bought like just for fun i bought four shares of ipoe i just like it was pretty cheap it was like 25 or 30 bucks or something i think i made a few dollars off of it because it ran up but yeah it's that that stocks hit the floor though because i was trading around 22 ish maybe like a year or so and it's been pretty consistently between like five and six seven bucks lately yeah um new bank i cannot find their loan loss provisions i don't know if they report it or not but uh their loan loss provisions are not here that would be interesting to see though this bank is growing so freaking quick man but yeah basically what it comes down to with a bank is like you have to be confident basically in the assets they hold the management how much risk they're taking on like where they're putting their those deposits it's not an easy business to understand at all and like you can have a time bomb you can buy like for example you can buy svb thinking oh well you know it's a bank and it's growing quick but if you don't take a look at who their clients are or where their money is and how liquid they actually are then it's like it was literally just a ticking time bomb i like that you say that and one of the things I really like about this show is you and I have a Venn diagram overlap, I think, of things we invest in. Like, we agree on some things, but other things were... I wouldn't even say disagree, just looking in other directions. I don't own any banks, to be clear. You do. So my angle looking at this is, it's like, this is almost like confirming my suspicions of, like, I'm not saying I would never own a bank, and I know that they are good businesses. They could pay dividends, full respect there. Every time I look at them, I'm just like, it's so boring to me. And it's like, you realize, like, who's making up each other's loans and, like, where is all their money invested like what type of bonds and like how are they getting returns like where are customers deposits coming from and like there probably are like good businesses here but since i can't explain it to a five-year-old personally i've been looking elsewhere but you know that's why people like you are hopefully able to capitalize on this so i'm cheering on your bank holdings especially EQV. it seems like a lot of people in the chat also own banks but i don't know who, who else is with me here in the chat anyone else not the bank stock owner or am i on a lonely island here that i should ship off of asap <laughs> especially as these deals come up right like if a bank starts trading below tangible book value and it's a big bank that smells like money to me yeah i mean <laughs> the fact that they're boring is also why i think they can sell at a really cheap prices like equitable bank for example um it was selling for a six pe not too long ago while it's growing earnings per share at 15 percent a year it's like you don't find that outside of the banking sector really it's, i don't know man I, I, okay, I, I would say you can find that outside the banking sector, but it's like part, maybe like not as often. Yeah. Like the frequency of finding banks like that in that industry, which also like does make it harder though too, right? Because it's like if multiple of them are trained like that, that again, you've got to take that deeper dive and figure out why. But anyways, moving on to potentially other things. Have you ever looked at Stoneco? I have not, but Pedro, we see you. Uh, I think we've gotten this question from them a few times. Is that something we are knowledgeable enough to talk about here or polite pass for next stream? Sometimes we like to do more re research before blabbering about things. Um, I am going to look at Stoneco quick. The stock up freaking decimated. What do they? What do they do? Also, I love that. Is that a new bracelet you got on? Yes, it is, dude. I I, I love it. Uh, also, while you're pulling that up, I just want to remind everyone: 
you might be like, hey, like Jake has way too much energy. What's going on? Uh, it is 9.30 a.m. here. I just woke up. I just drank a coffee. I'm caffeine sensitive. It is, I think, 11, no, 11.45 at night where Daniel is. So I just always find that uh, yin-yang really funny. But I believe Daniel will be coming back in about one month with us, which is super exciting. So April 6th. Anyways, what, what, are we, uh, what are we diving into here? Oh, dude, your jet lag is going to be wild. Like, I'm getting... In my head, I'm already writing off like the next two or three days. It's like you're going to be like cuddling with tuna. You know, you're going to take care of the house. Got responsibilities. Got to go grocery shopping. Fun stuff. Okay, I'm taking a look at Stoneco and... Oh, are you supposed to be sharing your screen right now? I I, I will share my screen if I decide to. Um, <laughs> But, I mean, I'm looking at this right now and I... This is not a stock where I don't like... I don't really want to give my opinion because this is one of those things where I feel like I don't know anything about this business and like it's not easy to understand by taking a look at it quickly i was gonna say uh, pedro you want to drop quick in the chat some of the things you're seeing about this business or a conversation started here i i might look at it this week but i, I mean let's start off like what do they do i do they make, the do they make stones like I, that's where i'm at no. yeah honestly when when i heard the ticker i thought it was going to be like a mining company um Engages in the provision for financial technology solutions. The firm has designed a cloud-based technology platform named Stoneco business or Stone Business Model for its clients to connect, get paid, and grow their businesses. So, like, that's not super specific, I don't think. And then, I mean, this stock is down 90% from its all-time highs. $2 billion market cap now. What, um, what are the insights looking like? That, that's usually, like, a good place to just, at least financially, like, get a little sense of what's going on. Cash flow has decreased by 66%. Financial health is average. Current ratio average. Looks like it's doing some light dilution. Debt's average. Growth revenue is growing quick. Net income is negative. Um, every profitability metric is negative, but revenue is growing. Profitability high and growth is very high. Yeah. Gross, what, gross margin. I'll get uh, my own tab too. Double research. Gross margins high, operating margins high, net margin is low, ROIC is good. So, I don't know, it's got some good and some bad. Okay, it's a $2.72 billion company also. I thought that would be um, more expensive for that level of growth. I'll look into this one more this week. I like looking at the financial services stocks. I know I've been teasing this. I will not drop the ticker, but I invested in a micro cap financial company this year, and I'm up probably like 50% on that. It's like a larger holding, but... Since we build stock and lock in the financial space, I think, at least for myself, dealing with all the technology here, I'm starting to get an edge on understanding how businesses sell API contracts, what type of API data they sell, what's harder to get versus easier to build for portfolio management, stock events, insider tra trading data, blah, blah, blah. I'm not sure if that's touching Stone Code too much, but it's interesting oh. enough to have me take another look. So tune in next week. Might have some more to share there. Yeah, we just got a comment about <clears throat> Manual Life, which is an insurance business. Actually, I'll use the U.S. ticker because I might apply to our audience more. This is an MFC. Insight scores 3.43 decent. Nice dividend on it. So this is a very interesting stock. Um, full disclosure, I actually own this stock. And I will show you why I think it's interesting. Sorry about my internet. It's always slow when I live stream. <laughs> it's all good. I'm making a note for myself to look at the Stone Co. this week because now I'm curious. Okay, so Manulife is an insurance company. Now, what type, of, what type of insurance? They do like everything, man. Um, they're huge. They're you also there's reinsurers. Like I learned about this. There's insurance companies that insure insurance companies. Yeah, yeah, I know that. Um, Brookfield actually has a reinsurance yeah. business. Shelby is telling me to tell, I believe, that we 
use Manulife insurance, we used it for this trip. Yes. Good hand signals. Someone <laughs> made a comment once. It was obviously a joke, but they're like, I only invest based off like Taylor and Shelby, who's our partner's opinions. They'll chime in on the show sometimes. So this has to go on that. We should make a watch list of those stocks, actually, our portfolio. Yeah. But uh, anyway. So Shelby's saying that's a buy signal then, right? That's... Dude, Shelby's <laughs> bullish as heck. <laughs> Just kidding. Do not buy this stock. All right. Anyways, Manulife was, so this is pre-financial crisis, okay? So Manulife grew its net income by 300% in like five years, doing really well. But the bank, or sorry, this is not a bank. It is an insurance company. But it was it was like a Silicon Valley situation, Silicon Valley bank situation. They over leveraged themselves. They got a little bit carried away. Then they had these massive losses, like negative billions of dollars. And ever since this happened, like if we go take a look at their stock, I mean, the stock still hasn't recovered. It was, you know, a 40, like a 45, $46 stock. It's a 2018, $19 stock today. So it still has not recovered from 2008. But what's interesting is if you take a look at what the net income has done since 2008, it has continued growing away. And, you know, it's at an all-time high now of $5 billion. So basically this company, I think that people, I don't know if people are still like turned off by what happened 14, 15 years ago still or what, but it just doesn't seem like the stock likes to get any love. And if you take a look at the price to earnings ratio of this stock now, it's consistently, since the earnings have continued going up, but the price has stayed the same, its PE over time has actually compressed from about 18, 17-ish over here down to, it was about 4.5 at one point, and today it's about 7. So the earnings have just continued growing. The underlying business is continuing to grow. The net income is continuing to grow. It's clearly uptrending, but the stock just doesn't go up. So the PE continues compressing. And um, at the same time, they've also, um, is this the right chart right here? At the same time, they've been growing their dividends like massively for about a decade. It's I'm assuming that's like covered by their cash flows. Yeah, by their net income. Their payout ratio is still below 50%, and they've okay. been growing their I was going to ask about that quick. I know with the net income number for some businesses, we can't look at it because of the one-time sales and stuff. I'm assuming that we can be, the way you're presenting it, we can be confident that's not the case with Manulife, like that their earnings are made up and calculated the same way before SEC changed the reporting rules there. Yes, but uh, it's a financial stock, so I use net income, not cash flow. So I just, yeah. Fair enough. It does include, you know, unrealized gains and losses, but it's not enough. I like as I said, I own the stock. I pay attention to it. It's not enough for like you know a massive swing. But basically, the moral of the story here is like net income is growing. Dividend has been growing very nicely and quite quickly too. It's got a it's almost a six percent dividend now, and it's still growing at like ten percent a year. Um, and uh, you know it's like a it's a PE of seven. So I don't know. I think it's just cheap. It's one of those cheap stocks where I'm like it's just so freaking cheap. It's not a huge position of mine, but it's in my dividend portfolio because I'm just like. I like the dividend. It's growing. I think it's a cheap business and I think it's going to grow over my lifetime. So we'll see. I'll add it to my, I'm going to add it to my uh, watch list. I have a little list of stocks to research. So I'll add in Maddie Life to that. In the past life, I've been a health insurance company for about four and a half years. So I unfortunately understand at least some aspects of some insurance industry. It's just interesting to me that you yeah. know that they do all the insurances, including the reinsurance, which still blows my mind to this day but i guess yeah um manulife also said another reason why i own the stock quick um they said that they want 50 percent of their net income to come from asia the region i'm currently at within like the next five years or something like that because this the economies over here are growing ridiculously quickly so i like to see that they're paying attention to that and they want 
a large portion of that business because that's where growth is right now. So I think that's smart of them. I like it. And uh, plus one for me. Not financial advice. Not, not financial advice for sure. <laughs> well, uh, we're heading into about the final five minutes here. So, you know, we'd love to take some more stocks from the chat. Okay, we had two people say this now, so I'm going to call it out. Uh, Stockado uh, is another YouTuber out here. They're in our streams a lot. We always have some good chats. Nothing is planned on the calendar yet, but I'd say we are looking potentially to have a collab bring you on stream. Uh, not finalized, so I think we'd probably do that when Daniel is back from Asia. We've just yeah. been ready strapped. So, yeah, I sent uh, Stockado. I sent Stockado an email. We're going to do it, but... Uh... The way that these live streams work, just so everyone knows, is like me and Jake basically figure out when we can do a live stream. And then within about 24 hours, it's like, okay, this is the time. And then we go. So it's like, Stock Auto, if you're watching, I apologize. It's just a little bit hectic right now. Well, normally, and I mean, to add some color to that, normally Daniel is not in Asia. Daniel's been traveling Asia for a while. We will be back to the norm in a month or two. So no planned date, but, you know, keep hanging out with us and we're going to, you know, try to bring out some guests. So that should be a fun time. Um, do I still own Alibaba? Yes, a very small position. I, I still own a position in Al Alibaba as well, which I am down on, by the way. So that is, yeah. Yeah. You, I'm assuming you're down as well. <laughs> I, I actually don't know because Alibaba is a stock that I've removed from my watch list. Um, it's in an account that I don't open. I literally don't know what the price of Alibaba is. So I don't know what my position is like because I want to own that stock for like 50 years no joke so i'm just like don't touch it don't get emotional just stick to your initial thesis and just let it freaking be yeah. so that's what i do I, I remember the stock was trading at 300 something dollars for a while and then like it dropped all the way down to 220 and i was looking at just doing a financial analysis like looking at what they were making i was like this is great bought, bought some shares at 220 i you know that i dollar cost average so like i dollar cost average down to like 160 and at that point i'm like okay i'm not just going to keep buying this this might be a falling night and then I stopped. I actually picked up a few more shares. I think when I was at like 69 or 70 bucks. So like when you look at my individual transactions, like some of them are relatively up, but the overall position I think is down maybe 30%. I know it's way too big of a conversation to get into with a few minutes left of all the pol politics going around in China. My only gripe with Alibaba is their cloud growth was so underwhelming. And I thought that was such a big opportunity for them. But we talked about this on past streams. They only had a 2% growth when you factor in them self-cannibalizing and buying their own stuff. They tried to report 4%. I wasn't. Yeah, I was impressed by, you know, they said they were going to come out and be cost-effective and, you know, improve their margins again. They came out with a $12 billion in free cash flow for the fourth quarter of 2022 alone. I was like, that's a lot of cash, man. On, a two, on like a $250 billion market cap for one quarter, that's a lot of cash. Not this cash. is going well. It's in a huge economy. Yeah, I, I'm holding... I mean, obviously, this isn't financial advice. Like, I think there's a lot. I think it's financially cheap, but there's, like, a ton of geopolitical risk around yeah. it. So, like, it is extremely interesting. I'm not going to say I'm happy with my position size and also just holding it. I, diamond hands. Yeah, that's that's one where I'm just, like, you know, I, I see the growth for the decades to come, and I'm just, like, I don't want to touch it. So, I don't know what my position's like anymore. I got it, and I'm going to hold it. Awesome. Uh, this is a great question, and I love... Everyone's saying honest. So, Jake, any guesses if Airbnb has money at SVB? I should know the answers to this. I don't. So, I was actually thinking about this today too, Rob. That's a good question. I was like, you know, Airbnb was a super successful startup. So, do they have any exposure here? If they do, how much? I don't know. Yeah. So, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. That's a great question. 
You know, now I'm almost seeming stupid, Daniel, because I feel like this question could apply to like a lot of stocks in the portfolio, right? Like it's a good time to go through them and be like, all right, Dude, what type of exposure is there? Do you know the company Etsy? Yeah. So apparently Etsy put out a press release recently. Please fact check me because I don't know the specifics on this. But basically what I got from my quick scroll was that they had some money in SVB and they're like messaging people saying their payments are being disrupted in some way. So yeah, that's what I mean is like, it could affect a lot of businesses a little bit like that. I would, I'm super interested to see if Airbnb has uh, any money with them. Interesting. Um, yeah, I'm, I don't know. That's a really great question. I should know. So I read I'm, that, I'm going to find out. Yeah. <laughs> I read that one company, I think it was Roku, had something like $2 billion in SVB. So, well, uh, Roku, that's one of Kathy Woods. Uh, I, you know, I need to, you need to start just like dunking on, on those. Um, I love the stream, guys. Keep up the great work. Thank you. We really love putting on these streams. It's definitely been a slight strain with the huge time difference. Normally, they're more scheduled than, you know, actually happen at the same time. So thank you so much for being here. That This is one of my favorite times of the week. Yeah, it's fun. Um, we're yeah, going to dive We're winding down here too, Daniel. Was there any anything else you wanted to get in on the show today? Well, we have you. I know we're going to send you off and uh, give you a good night salute soon. But I don't think so. What do you think about Nike stock, bro? You're repping their gear. <laughs> I don't I don't understand apparel companies that much. I don't own a single apparel company. But you're, you're, a, cu you're a customer. Just because you're a customer doesn't mean you got to own the stock. I love Uber. Not going to touch that stock. You know, I love that's, that. that's the case for me with Spotify. I want to look into Spotify again. So I started, you know, I, I like to plug little shows for people to watch to increase their investing knowledge because I found a new one and I am in love with it daniel uh i'm not sponsored by these people obviously but there's a show called we study billionaire and they have a lot they bring on a lot of fund managers a lot of people who have very high net worths and they have very honest good disagreements about stocks uh, they actually brought up disney and spotify in one of their shows and just had a really incredible discussion about them where there were three people that all kind of even disagreed with each other a bit but again all very high net worth and spotify is just one of those businesses where i'm a customer i love their product but like being in the entertainment space is just so hard. But like I've been their customer for almost a decade now, monthly. I'm not going to stop. They have all my music. It's just a really conflicting stock for me. Like I almost, it's, it's dangerous because like I want to look for reasons to buy. Like I really love the founder as well. So like I'm trying to be cautious, but obviously we've done financial analysis on them. It's yeah, I guess a little it's, weird, but they're it's also, it's it's also interesting okay. because, you know, you think about Peter Lynch's way of investing where he says you got to know what you own. And he was saying, you know, the individual investor can beat the the pros by just paying attention to where you shop, what you do and buying stock and like how you live your life. But then there's also an argument for, you know, Spotify. Yeah, you use it, but you know, personally, I think it's expensive. I don't think that it's a very profitable business. Same thing with Uber. I love Uber, but there's no way I'm buying that stock. So you, you know, you got to think about Peter Lynch's advice there a little bit. He's still got to do some financial analysis in my opinion. Oh yeah, I mean it's trading at twenty three billion. Uh, it is not cheap by a free cash flow standpoint at all, and it also it doesn't make any bad insights. Yeah, it doesn't make any money. Its profitability is just not that. Oh, uh, it makes me so sad. It makes me so sad. Like I, I I'm rooting for them. Like I'm their customer. It's like yeah, these these numbers are just yeah. I, like this is terrible over yeah. Here. And see, and that's that's something I just can't get behind it. I just like I'm not gonna own it. It makes me so sad. All right. I, maybe a good way to end this is to just shamelessly plug. Obviously, we are the co-founders of Sock and Lock. I know many of you are already on here, but 
you know, we're constantly building new things all the time. This is an unreleased feature, so just teasing this a bit, but we are going to start visualizing cash flow statements, uh, balance sheet statements visually, as well as income. This is additive to what you can already do on this page. Uh, still working out a few little bugs, as you can see, with some sort directions and stuff, but yeah. Um, can you not on stock and lock already from show support? You know, that's our full-time jobs and uh, we try to go with you guys every week to talk about the market. Can you go take a look at BYND quick with the new financial stuff? We're in overtime right now. So uh, let us know when you need to go to bed. But of course, do um, you mind say, running that back to me once more? Beyond me? BYND. This is one of your favorite stocks, right? Yeah. Margin okay. dealt my going on this one. You, you want me to bring up the, the new... Uh, yeah, those are cash flow. Correct me as where to go here. Actually, their income statement too. Stay right there and zoom. This in. one's great. Yeah, walk us through this, Daniel. How should I? I'm seeing you up here. Interpret the numbers on this graph. Like, is red okay. and yellow good? Because I'm seeing a lot of that. Okay, so the green is the revenue. All right, the red is the cost of revenue, or how much it costs the business to generate the revenue, and then the other expenses are the operating expenses, income tax expense, and net interest expense. So just stay on, stay up there, stay up there. Um, so so jumpy, too much, too much coffee. In the, in the most recent quarters, can you do TTM? Of course. Okay, so what you can see for Beyond Meat is their green bars, the revenue, is going down at the same time as their expenses are continually going up. Also, that bottom red bar now is officially higher than the revenue bar. What that means is Beyond Meat has a negative gross margin. It literally cannot produce its product at a profit before even factoring in the operating expenses right there. It is a very, very unprofitable business. By golly gee, you're right. Yep. And then if you go to their <laughs> cash flow statement, so the new cash flow statement here, the green bar is the operating cash flow. So you can see that this business doesn't make any money. It's operating cash flow is consistently negative. So then the question is always, where does the company get the money from? How is it staying in business? So those red bars that we made, is where the money is coming from. If, it, if it's a positive, then it means that's where money's coming in from. If it's negative, it's losing money. So you can see right there, the company is gaining its cash from taking on debt. And that's, it takes on a lot of freaking debt. So that's how it's sustaining itself. And now with these new financial charts, you know, you can see this all visually throughout time. Well, uh, by golly, G times two, you are right. It's as if you're like designing this website or something. Like you just know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And you can probably see the gross margin here too. This blue line, you know, you want this number to at least be positive, obviously. And like they've been fluttering. It was actually up around 20 or 30% at one point, but this is just yeah. not what you want to see. I mean, these are the type yeah. of businesses I could really go under being huge financial stress potentially. I mean, this is just not good. It's not good. It's not good at all. This and that's oh whoa. It's not good. It's an awful business. So I really like this pie chart for the insight scores because well, one of the great things about the insight score, you could look at a three and a three, and they're not the same, right? Because like you can get to a three by averaging these groups way differently. So you can imagine maybe analysts love a company and they're valued low, but they have no profit or growth. Or maybe they have a lot of profit and growth, but their balance sheet sucks and analysts hate them. And then like you'd end up in a three both ways. There are 19 very bad insights here. Just like the sheer number of very bads is right as long as you should look out for. This is why every time I want a bad example on my channel or in any stock ever, BYND. Just go and look at this stock. It is the perfect example 
of a stock that you cannot even pay me to own. It is as bad as I've ever found. Well, yeah, dude. It's there, there you have it. Daniel is very bearish on Beyond Meat. Uh, you heard it from the man, and I think we we knew that. But what, what are some of the other... Oh, geez, I feel like we're having a bash fest right now, which is... Well, I don't mean if people own these stocks to... Well, I just... Uh, I do want to get out of here, and uh, there's yeah. just one more question that I want to... Uh, we're we're in overtime, so. Okay, it was about BN. So someone asked, um, "Will you do a video that focuses on BN?" So I made, I made a video about BN and BAM. I would just recommend going and watching that video if you want to learn more. It's not an easy business to understand. Yeah, a BN video after the spinoff would be sweet. Unfortunately, I don't think I can make a video like that until I'm back home. So I can put that in my pipeline, but yeah. And then there was one more question here about what should we do with the main metric for BN? Um, they report funds from operations. And unfortunately, the only way to get the proper data there is to go to the company's reports. So... I would just go to their most recent financial report for the fourth quarter of 2022 and uh, download everything. Investor presentation, transcript, everything. Go and download it all and just try and learn the business because, again, it's not an easy one to understand. But I think the price to FFO right now is around 10, um, if I remember correctly. And I think the price to true book value is like 0.7. But financial statements, unfortunately, are not going to show you that because it's a very confusing business. So it takes a lot of digging, but uh, it's a fun one. It's a good challenge. So okay. you want to Avery for going through those confusing dots. Yes. Um, you mind if I do like a quick uh, 30 second rapid fire through some of these two and then we can uh, send everyone off? Yeah, sure. Let's see. Uh, we're getting a lot of, I think it said stock Ado before. That's because I'm a weird loser. I, I think it's stock auto. So my bad. Yeah. Getting a lot of comments there. So we might collab later. You got, you know, stay tuned. Lol, I got in that 220 also. That was us commiserating with each other about Alibaba. Hey, you know, it's not a mistake if you learn from it. And who knows, for the long bold, uh, maybe our patients will reward us. Wow, can't wait. I'm assuming that's about the new financials tab. Thank you. Uh, parlaying that into another Sockmaw comment. We really love these. Uh, it really continues to give us motivation, obviously, which we have a lot of to keep building this. But we're going to keep building new features. Stay tuned. Please try to help us grow. If you have friends, family, anyone that would like to use Stock Unlock, it always helps us out. Let's see. Tattooed Chef, best stock ever. Uh, you probably watch us a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> I got on Stock Unlock. The Insight Score speaks for itself. Vic, yep. we got you. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning in every week. Uh, I don't know who wrote that, but definitely don't pay attention to that. Nick, uh, if you were watching that, uh, you didn't see that. Um <laughs> I think that's all of them. Yeah, thank you everyone for being here. And nice, uh, nice little Easter egg for everyone. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, dude. So yeah, engineers are weird, right? Have a great day, and we'll see you all hopefully next week. If not next week, you know it'll be the week after that. But uh, soon we'll be back on our regular schedule for April. So wherever you are in the world, good night, good morning, good afternoon, get back to bed. And goodbye, Daniel. I'll miss you, man. So this is we hang out the most, I feel like, on these streams. So really, we, we talk more. I know. This is like where we actually get to talk now. And uh, all right, I'm going to end the stream. I'm officially going to click the button. Click the button. We don't know how to end it. We're, we're bad at saying bye. <laughs> all right. See you, everyone.